All right, so there's, before we get into Isaiah, there's, there's a verse in the book of Ephesians, verse five, uh, chapter 5 and verse 14, that I think is going to help set the, the whole stage for this passage. Um, there's going to be an, an ongoing theme uh, of being called to, to wake up through, through this passage in Isaiah. And there's a passage in uh, Ephesians <clears throat> Uh, 5.14, the second half of that, Paul says, Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, Paul is quoting something there, because he, he says, it, Therefore it says, and then he gives us this quotation, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, that's not a direct quotation from any Old Testament passage. Um, it, some people think it was maybe a lyric to a song or, or perhaps some other, you know, writing that was familiar to the audience in Ephesus. Um, but regardless, um, the theme of waking up and, and seeing the light of Christ shine on you is, is clearly connected to what Isaiah is going to say in 51 and 52. And in fact, if you have a Bible that has uh, cross-references and you look at the, the verses that we're going to look at today, you'll see that this uh, verse is, is mentioned in the cross-references because Paul likely had these verses in mind. Uh, if he was paraphrasing something, that, that could be possible too. Uh, but either way, there's a clear connection between waking up and seeing Christ work in us and shine on us and, and be engaged in the gospel. So as we go over here on the next slide here, we're going to go over to Isaiah 51. And as we look at this chapter, we're going to see three things that God does in us as we wake up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we wake up to who Jesus is and what he has done for us and how he has accomplished his work for us, there are three things that we begin to see three things that we begin to experience and become changed by. So we're going to look at those three as we work through this. Um, the first is really in uh, verse 9 through 16. So I'll read those verses and I'll try to remember to flip the slides here as we go. Um, and then we'll stop and we'll talk about what we're seeing. So it says this, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass? And have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he set himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? 
He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord, your God, who stirs up the seas so that, the wave, so that its waves roar. And the Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Okay, now there's a lot there. There's a ton we could talk about in that. Um, But I think here's what Isaiah is getting at. He begins by saying, awake, awake. And each section that we're gonna look at begins that way, either with awake, awake or something similar. He's saying, wake up. And here's what you should see when you wake up to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should see the power of God. That's really, I think, at the heart of these verses is that God has power to do all that he wants in saving his people, in redeeming his people, in helping his people, right? We see this idea throughout this passage. It starts with um, this idea that God dried up the Red Sea so that his redeemed people could pass through it, right? God did that by his power. He talks about how he led the ransomed people from, of the Lord to Zion with singing. It talks about how he comforts us when men and uh, others uh, just engage us in hostility. He protects us and he guides us. It says he created the heavens. He laid the foundation of the earth. I mean, all of this displays God's power. So here's the thing that's really, I think, counterintuitive. I think when we think about growth in the Christian life, we don't necessarily think about uh, God's power, but about us growing in strength. And I think that that is exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The, The Bible teaches us that as we grow in Christ, we recognize our weakness more and more. Because it is in recognizing our weakness that God's power becomes displayed. God is not here to make us powerful, strong people, but rather people who acknowledge and know their weaknesses, who lean into the strength of Christ every day. It, it's actually found um, pretty clearly taught in in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, I'm going to just take you there quickly here. Um, Paul, can we all agree that Paul was pretty much as close to the best Christian that you can find, right? Like he wasn't perfect. He wasn't Jesus. He's not our savior. But Paul was a pretty, pretty much a rock star when it comes to the Christian life. And yet this is what's incredible is that Paul did not boast about his strength or his impressiveness or his um, maturity. In fact, the exact opposite. Look at this. It says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He, he mentions being conceited twice. He says, so, so in order to keep me from becoming this prideful, conceited person, what does he say? It's be, because, and the reason he could become conceited was because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So God is showing Paul things that very few people got to see. And, 
And in fact, in the context of this passage, he's talking about a guy, and most people think he's talking about himself, but he's just trying to be humble and not admit that it's him. But he's like, yeah, I knew this guy who was caught up to the third heaven this one time. <laughs> I don't even know where third heaven is. I don't even know where second heaven is. But, but uh, Paul apparently just had these huge revelations in his life. And, and so he says, that could have made me really prideful. That could have created some conceit in my heart. So to protect me from that, he's saying, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. God gave him a messenger of Satan to harass him. And this is not a pleasant thing. This is something he did not want. See, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He, he did not want this thorn. And we don't even know what the thorn is. I think that's actually kind of intentional. Um, there's a lot of theories about what the thorn is. Could have been a physical ailment. It could have been a, uh, a relational problem. That's what some people think because of the messenger of Satan comment here. Perhaps it was somebody who was just pestering him constantly. It could have possibly been a sin in his life that he couldn't find victory in. And we don't think about Paul that way, but we should because Paul's not Jesus. He, he was a sinner. So we don't know. And I think that that's intentional because whether it's a sin in me or, a, or a, a, a physical problem or a person problem, we all know what it's like to have a thorn in the flesh. And so Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it should leave me. Notice what Jesus says to him. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what we're seeing in, in Paul is this realization that it's not about human strength that we should be aiming for in this, in this Christian life, but rather embracing our weaknesses and leaning on the strength that we see in Christ. And that's when we begin to really see transformation happen. Um, I, I'm, I'm convinced that by trying to change ourselves within our own power, we will never actually see change happen. We will just be on like a hamster wheel just going around in circles. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what, what is it in our lives that we are trying to change in our own power? Because I think we all do. Is it your pride? Is it your lust? Is it your anger? Is it unforgiveness or bitterness? It's, it may be something that I don't even know about or haven't mentioned. But, but in all of the weaknesses that we have, rather than pretending to be strong, we should give those things to Jesus because he has the power to change us. He has the power to free us. He has the power to save us. In, in the moment, in, in this moment, with the things we're dealing with right now, we, we need to see Jesus and his power work in us. And I, wanna, I also want to just encourage you to think about, the, think about it this way. Um, in your own life, 
in the people who have been most influential in your life, um, who has been more impressive, so to speak, in your Christian life? Is it, the, is it the Christian who claims that they have it all together and they don't know anything about the struggles you're facing? <laughs> like the person who will say to you, well, if you really want to see how Jesus lives, come to my house. Is it that person that's impressive? Or is it the one who actually acknowledges that, yeah, what you're going through, I've been going through. And I've been through and I'm still dealing with, like the, the person who acknowledges that they're weak has a far more um, powerful opportunity to serve and help others grow. Because if, if we're looking at somebody like they're some rock star who we can't come anywhere close to, then, then we won't go to them at all, right? We'll go, ah, ah, I'm never gonna be that, that person. I'm never gonna be that spiritual, that holy, that good. But the people that really have the opportunity to, to help bring change and point out flaws are the people who acknowledge their weaknesses and acknowledge that only Jesus is strong. And so we're seeing this, this reality come out as we wake up to the grace of God. We're seeing the beauty of the power of God at work in us. Let's keep going. We'll go back to Isaiah 51. Um, this, this section is um, 17 through 23. And uh, so 17 through the end of the chapter. Um, and it starts this way. It says, wake yourself, wake yourself. So now we know that this is a new section, a new thought, because he's going to repeat this double imperative of awake, awake, or wake yourself, wake yourself. It says, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Now, let's stop here for just a moment because this is not the end of the section, but um, that's not warm and fuzzy, right? That doesn't make you feel all cozy inside. Um, this, is, this passage is talking about the truth of God's righteous anger towards sin and sinners. That, that, that never makes us feel good on the inside, right? We want to be affirmed. Um, but we need to hear the truth as well, that, that we are sinners who have gone astray. Um, but, but here's the thing. When we read something like this, when we read this kind of a passage, um, it's easy for us to object to it because we think, oh, you know, that, that God in the Old Testament, he's just this mean spiteful, angry God, and somehow he like gets an attitude adjustment in the New Testament and becomes nice and friendly and helpful. Like, we have this idea of God that's misguided and, and not accurate. And it was actually brought up, kind of brought back to me again, because um, 
I don't know if you guys saw, caught this on the news. You probably didn't because there's a lot of more important things happening in the world. But uh, there was a, some Christian rock star person who left the faith, okay? I don't even know. But left the faith, and he announced it on Instagram because that's where you announce that you leave the faith. Um, and, uh, and he had this whole long list of things that, that were like, the, he described it as a sweater that he's like pulling on the thread and pretty soon there's no sweater left. That's how he describes his, his deconversion thing. And uh, one of the objections that he had was this idea that God in the Old Testament is angry. God in the New Testament is nice. So this, this is a contradiction and it must not, must not work. And that, that was one of many objections he had. Of course, I want to be fair to him. Um, but that objection is not in any way accurate. Like when we hear that objection, we, we can immediately say there is a man or there's a woman who has never meaningfully read the Bible. And we can, I mean, you can just kind of write that off as, I don't know why they're interpreting it that way, but that's wrong. It's not true. Because if we look at the very next verses, 21 through 23, we see in this same passage, right where God's anger is, his mercy is. Look at 21. It says, Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. So he, he's saying, okay, here, this is, this is what you are. You're, you've been drinking from the bowl of God's wrath. You're drunk on that, right? So when it says that you're, you're drunk but not with wine, it's not talking about being drunk with whiskey or being drunk with beer, but being drunk on God's wrath. That's what he's talking about, right? So here you have this. He's like, this is your position. You're, you are under the wrath of God. And here's what it says. So listen to this. Thus says your Lord. Your Lord. That's a personal term. Your Lord. The Lord, your God, he repeats it, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. Right in the midst of the Old Testament, there is two equal truths about God. He's a God of justice who deals with sin, and he's a God of mercy who doesn't deal harshly with his people. Because God himself takes the bowl of his wrath upon himself in Jesus Christ on the cross. The reason God can take the bowl of wrath from our hands is because he placed it into the hands of Jesus. And, and that's what he says next, essentially. He says, and I will put, put it, put that bowl into the hand of your tormentors, who have said to you, bow down, that we may pass over, and you have made your back like the ground, like the street for them to pass over. Now, God is not their tormentor. Of course, he's talking about bringing justice on their enemies as well, but those would be the people who are unrepentant and refuse to turn from their sins. But in a, in a real sense, God is the one who brings about justice, and yet God is also the one who takes the justice in the gospel. And so what we're seeing as we wake up to the, to the good news of Jesus is we see his power and we see his mercy 
for sinners. God actually loves sinners. That is really good news because we're all in that boat. If God didn't love sinners, we would be in big trouble. God loves sinners so much so that he removes his wrath from us. He shows us nothing but mercy as we throw ourselves onto Jesus Christ at the cross. So we see here the power of God. We see the mercy of God. We're going to see one more thing as we go. This is in 52 now. Um, The next 12 verses, so the rest of this passage um, is going to encompass this. So it's quite a bit. We'll read it together here. It says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. So remember that. Awake, awake starts a new section. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore... What have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know it, uh, that it is I who speak. I, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news, of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from there, from the midst of her, pur- from her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, you shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Um, so, so this passage is a long one, but, but I think the, the help for us to understand what it's getting at um, is found in Romans chapter 10. If, if you're familiar with Romans 10, you'll, you probably notice that Paul quotes from this passage. Romans 10, um, 13, I think this is where we get to see the, the understanding of this as, as Paul has shown what this means by the Holy Spirit. It says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear 
without someone preaching. It says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So there's the quote from Isaiah. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, in a different part of Isaiah, not this passage, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Um, So this passage really tells us this, that when we wake up to the gospel, what we wake up to is the power of God, we wake up to the mercy of God, and we also wake up to the mission of God. God has put us on a mission. That mission starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. This this verse 7 that says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. That's Jesus. He's the one who lands on our soil. He's the one that comes to our earth and lives among us and preaches the good news of the gospel. God sent Jesus on a mission to save his people from their sins. But, as Paul tells us, and as Jesus tells us, um, we are also sent on a mission. We are sent to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to preach the good news to people. And what by that we mean we share the message of the hope we have in Christ. Preaching connotates like what I'm doing, right? We, not everybody's called to be up in front of people and, and talking to them like this, but, but there is a clear call for every Christian to speak the gospel to people's lives, to, to engage in the mission of Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples at the end of, of the gospel of John, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. What does that mean? It means that we get to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that though he went to earth to be the beautiful feet that brings the good news of the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings this happiness of salvation to people, we get to follow in that footsteps, in his footsteps, and we get to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's amazing because Jesus centered his entire ministry in Israel. He, he may have stepped outside the borders for one quick little moment in time. But aside from that, his mission was in Israel. But when he is about to be ascended into heaven, he tells his disciples, you're going to go and bring this message to Jerusalem, which is where they were standing at the time, right? Judea, the, the broader region, Samaria, a bit further out even beyond that both geographically and ethnically. And then it says, to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is that kind of concentric circles of going from Jerusalem outward. And and Paul is sort of that culmination of the ends of the earth. He sort of represents missionary work and activity and starting churches and bringing people to Christ in, in this in this way. And now when you read the book of Acts, you get to Acts 28 and it ends abruptly with no conclusion. There's a reason for that. It's because the mission goes on, 
we're still on mission with Jesus. That's why, you know, as silly as it is, our, our church is a part of a network called Acts 29. That's the idea that it comes from, this idea that we're still on mission like the book of Acts. We're still bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and so here, this is what we get to experience, this call of Jesus to bring his good news to others. We, we have an amazing call to do that. So what we see in this passage, just to bring it all together before we conclude here, so we see that when Paul says, arise, O sleeper, and uh, wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, when, when that happens, when we wake up to the good news of Jesus and the light of Christ shines on us, we see his power, the power that he has to change us and transform us, that it's not our power that we should be aiming for, but it's his should be living, embracing our weaknesses, knowing that he shows his power through weakness. We get to see his mercy to save us, to take the wrath of God away from our hands, our guilty hands that deserve his wrath. He takes that away and gives us mercy and grace. And we get to see his mission to engage us in this ongoing work of Jesus in saving more people. Who doesn't want more people in on the good news of Jesus? We all do. So let's engage in the mission. Let's be, let's right where we are, right where we are called. And if God sends us elsewhere, then that's where we're called to go to. But we have a great opportunity to bring this beautiful news to others. So with that said, let me pray for us. And then we'll take some time uh, to sing a few songs together. And uh, as we sing, you'll be encouraged and welcome to partake of Uh, the Lord's table, which are set up. We'll do it kind of the way we normally do where you can go to the tables and partake. Um, We have each, uh, each cup has two cups. So the the bread is underneath in in the bottom cup and the juice is on top. So that way we don't have to all touch the same bowl of bread or whatever. Um, But just so you're aware of that's how we're, we're kind of facilitating that. But let's pray and then we'll, we'll go from there. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus, first of all. We thank you that you have brought about your power in, in and among weak people. When we thank you, Lord, that you have shown us your mercy, though we don't deserve any mercy at all. We've not earned it, we've not deserved it, but you've given it to us freely. We thank you for that. We want to rest in that truth. We want to rejoice in you. And we pray, Father, that as we go from here, that we would seriously think through the mission you've called us to and that we would engage the gospel with those that we interact with each day. We pray that you would continue to grow your church and grow your kingdom here on earth. And we pray that you would uh, do, do your will here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.